So, the will of God for the life of the believer generally, like I was talking about, um, we can see in the Scriptures in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, He says it, Peter writing, well, it's verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. So, if He has given us all things, then we should be able to discern what His will is for our lives. Now, I said this last time, and I'll say it this time, it's on your thing, but generally... God's will for our lives. God is not interested in giving you the answer to every little decision you have to make in your life. Like I had on there. Like what kind of toothpaste should I use? Crest, Colgate, Aquafresh, or what's that other one called? Something like that, wasn't it? It had red and blue stripes. I don't even know if they make that stuff anymore. Okay. The toothpaste you use, God isn't really concerned with. Now your friends maybe... um, because they want you to have fresh breath when you, they talk to you. But God Himself doesn't care what kind of toothpaste you use. Okay, um, He doesn't concern Himself with what kind of shoes you need to wear. Um, clothes, he, he would be concerned with as far as modesty um, and, and looking appropriate. But whether it's made by Tommy Hilfiger or Massimo or... Or Walmart clothes, you know, as long as they're not made in China by little kids, then it's not good. So, God, though He doesn't give you that answer, He is concerned with every little detail of your life. It's not like He goes, oh, I don't care about that. I want the important stuff out of you. He, he does care for even the smallest little things. And I, I, I'm sure I told you guys the story, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it again. I don't think I told it last time I taught this. So, when... I remember one time, uh, I used to always wear a watch, but I always break them. So I don't wear them very often because I break them and then I forget to get another one. and So I don't have one right now. But I remember one time years and years ago, having a watch, I was at work and my watch broke. And, and part of my tools, part of my description of tools at work was to have a watch. So I knew what time to start work, what time to take my breaks, what time to get off of work. I needed a watch. okay, And that was just part of my requirement for my tools. So... I come home and my watch breaks. The pin on my watch broke. So I'm like, oh man, where do you find a watch pin? Right? A watchmaker. But Glendora, back in the 80s, there weren't a lot of watchmakers around. Um, now there's one you can go to Robin in the village over there and he's got them. I've actually gone in there and got stuff from him, but I didn't know. So I'm like, man, Lord, I, I need my watch. I'm like, it's part of what I wear all the time. I need that thing, but I don't know what I'm going to do because it's broken. So I thought, well, I'm going to look around and see, and I'm digging through this box of nuts and bolts that I have, and all of a sudden, here's a watch pin. I'd never had a broken watch before, so I had no purpose or reason to have a watch pin. But there was a watch pin in this box when I needed one. And so I always like to tell that story is that God concerns Himself with even the little watch pins that we need in our lives. Though he won't tell me, you know, you need to make sure you wear a Casio watch or, you know, a Rolex or a whatever. He doesn't care about the kind of watch. But when you have a need, whatever that need is, he concerns himself with what that's the smallest of needs. So God is concerned, but not to the extent that he determines, you know, don't buy Kraft macaroni and cheese. Make sure it's Velveeta or that, you know, that kind of stuff. That's, that's not his concern. We're not going to get a lot into um, a lot of the stuff I talked about last time, the way we did last time, we're going to focus more this time on this study in the will of God in looking at two men seeking God's will. And that's pretty much because I wanted to make this more of something that we can grab and take a look at and see, oh, this is cool. Look at how God works His will in the life of people who seek after Him. Okay, it's because I figured this was the crowd I was going to have and I didn't want to go over the same stuff we went over last time. So, if you want to, you can turn to Acts chapter 10. Though, like I said, we will throw some of this other stuff in. But we're going to focus more on Acts chapter 10 right here. And the will of God. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for tonight and for your word.
Pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would just show us how you move, how you work, how you work your will out in our lives as we seek after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a story, I know we all know it, but this is the one that as I was praying many months ago about what to teach um, for the will of God, because all of these studies you guys know, this second time through, I've been making it more apologetic, more um, applicable, as opposed to just having scriptures that for foundational stuff, because you guys have all been through the foundation thing the last time we went through it. So this was what God laid on my heart, was the story of Peter and Cornelius. Okay, so we're going to start out looking at Cornelius. It says, verses 1 through 8, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming to him, coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here is this certain man, a specific man, Cornelius. He's a centurion of the Italian regiment. Um, The regiment means a cohort. It's a group of soldiers. So he is uh, the centurion. He's like one of the head guys. Captain, sergeant, whatever. I don't know his actual centurion. He's in charge. So he has many people under him. So as Luke is writing this, he talks about this Cornelius from the Italian regiment. And he says he was a devout man. And the word devout just means godly. He was one who feared God, it says there, with all his household. So the man himself. He's Italian. That means he's from the Roman cohort. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. But yet he somehow, and we don't know how because it doesn't tell us, he has heard about Jesus and chosen to follow after Jesus. Not only chosen to follow after him, but completely give himself over. He's devout. When you think of devout, the word devout, you think of someone committed. You know, that's that's typically how we're going to use that word. Is They're committed. It's not like he wasn't just a churchgoer. He wasn't a guy that just warmed a pew. He, he was there. He was learning. He was involved. He was living out the things that he was learning. Okay? That's kind of the idea of the godly or the devout man that he was. And it shows that he was because it wasn't just him, but his whole household. So that would mean wife, kids, if they were involved. I don't, it doesn't tell us, it just says household. So wife, kids, uh, servants, whoever else was in his household, they also followed their leader. He was the leader of the home and the people were following this godly man. So it says that he also, to show that his commitment was there and that he was following after the things he heard, it says he gave alms generously to the people. So being a Roman centurion probably had money because that was the leading class, the ruling class at the time in Israel. They had overthrown um, the, the, the Jews and whoever else was there. They were in charge. But here's one that fears God, and he's got money because of his position, but he's giving alms or gifts to the people. So he's not like, no, I'm a Roman and I deserve all this stuff. Totally, totally opposite of the majority of our society today where we... We get so that we can have. I was talking to a guy, if you guys were around, um, some of you guys heard me when I was over at this guy's house Monday. They won't say who he was, but he was a assistant producer for the movie industry. And we were talking about some of the wealthy p- 
people that he's run across over the years in the movie industry. And he was telling me of one guy, and I won't say his name because this is going to get recorded, and I don't want the guy to come after me because he has billions of dollars. Um, but there was one guy he was talking about who was a famous actor who has billions of dollars, and that's in his personal account, billions. And he just sold a business, and I won't say the business because that will help tell you who he is if I tell you the business. And he got a billion dollars for the business. And the guy just keeps heaping this money on himself, and he never gives out just because he wants to give out. That's not this guy's heart. Um, according to the guy that I was talking with, my friend that I was talking with, um, this isn't the heart of this man. He just wants to heap it upon himself. And I told him about this story that I had heard about Howard Hughes when they had asked him one time, Mr. Hughes, how much is enough money? And he said, just a little more than I have. And that's the mentality of the world. And um, it was like, Whitney was reading some stuff today and she was talking about how um, Hudson Taylor, when he was out there, he felt he had to trust God with the little that he had that he couldn't be expected. And it's scriptural that we can't be expected to have more unless we're willing to give even of a little bit. In Hudson Taylor's, uh, the story Whitney was telling me, he actually was not going to seek to get a lot of money to go into the mission field. He was going to trust God with the little bit that he had that God had called him and that if God had called him, he would provide for him on his journey. And if you know the story of Hudson Taylor, God did a pretty good job. So you guys know that's my heart. I know that's where most of you guys uh, stand and feel that God will be the one to provide. Um, you guys had dinner tonight, right? Michael, Becca, right? And Michael was gone for a week, not working. Obviously God provided because you had dinner tonight. So even though you didn't work for a week, you still... God provided for you and you spent money thousands to go on that trip so that you could do what you felt God calling you to do and God is so faithful and when you do his will he does bless and that's what we're going to see here so we know Cornelius gave alms as a godly man and it says it finishes up by saying and he prayed to God always so he's always praying he's a godly man and he gives generously of what he has. It's hard a lot of times to give generously with what you have because um, like Chris Lazat says, you know, the bill stacks high and the money stacks gone. Many times that's the way it is. So we can't give. And it's especially hard for me because as far as I know, nobody else in the room has the same gift that my wife has in giving. That's her gift. And I have to deal with that because I look at the bills and I look at the money and then I go, but her gift is a gift. And it's hard. It's very hard. Has been. I'm getting better, but I'm not there yet. God will continue to work with me. Um, but he's really been, actually, I've been, he's been really dealing with me a lot about it recently about um, not worrying so much about the bills getting paid. I need to get them paid. I know that. Um, I quote another Hudson Taylor thing, but I don't want to convict myself, so I won't. Um, <laughs> Uh, so it says that about the ninth hour in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. So the Jews prayed typically three times a day, the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. So it was um, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m., okay? The third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. So 9, 12 and three. So this is the 3 p.m. prayer that Cornelius is praying here at the sixth, at the ninth hour. It says, and so he's praying and he saw clearly in a vision. It wasn't like, ah, oh, wow, what was that? You guys have the, I, I had this bizarre dream last night. And I woke up this morning because I've been thinking about this study and I'm like, okay, Lark, was that something from you? Or was it just that bean and cheese burrito with the salsa on it that I had from Toto's last night? <laughs> Uh, I was probably being cheese burrito because God didn't reveal anything to me. It wasn't me, but it was just weird. But I, so when I have weird dreams, I always pray, okay, God, are you trying to show me something? Because visions, dreams, stuff like that, they can mean something, but probably many times they don't. They're just whatever it is we ate or just my bizarre brain going anyways. Uh, but he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. So this was... He knew 
this is an angel of God and the angel specifically called to me. Okay, so Cornelius says when he observed him in verse 4, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? Okay, so Cornelius, being the man that he was, is seeking God's will. Right? We know that because what does he say? What is it, Lord? What do you want, God? What do you want, Jesus? Right? You don't say that unless you want to know what he wants. And you're seeking his will when you say, I want to know what you want me to do. That's what he's saying. So he's asking for God's will. What do you want? What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. So there's nothing else involved to him, God and Cornelius. And God is just affirming to Cornelius that the works he's doing are noticed. God sees them. Your prayers and your alms, they've come up as a memorial before God. God remembers them. So many times we do stuff and we think, oh man, did, did anybody even see? See, we want to do it. Did anybody see that? I know many people like that, that they want to do it to be seen. And, and that can never be our motivation. This is between God and Cornelius. And God says, hey, I saw. I remember you're doing some good stuff. Your prayers, your alms, they're coming. I'm getting them. So he says, they come up for a memorial before God. And then the answer of the Lord is, now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So the vision, he says, what is it, Lord? And God says, hey, I hear your prayers. I see your alms. I want you to send men to Peter and have him come, and he'll tell you what you need to do. So it's like, wait, Cornelius is like, wait, I was praying, seeking God, seeking his will. God says, hey, I got your prayers. I got your alms, all the good stuff you're doing. I got that. It's a memorial. I'm remembering that stuff. Now I want you to send and get Peter to come here. He'll tell you what to do. Cornelius, my guess, doesn't say, probably has no idea who Peter is. Certainly they've never met. But God says, I want you to send for him and bring him here. So Cornelius is like, all right. So it says, when the angels had spoke to him in verse 7, it had departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So it doesn't show any hesitation. Right? When the angel shows up, he says, what do you want, Lord? He was afraid, but he said, what do you want? The fear part, that's pretty obvious. Right? You have a vision and God comes to you and says, hey, Michael. You'd be like, uh, what? <laughs> you know, this is God speaking to you. What? What do you want? And then, so he immediately responds by sending them in like God said. He's seeking God's will and when God tells him the plan, he doesn't know what Peter's going to do, say, or anything else. It infers here that he was looking for God to do something for him or give him something to do, whatever it is. Because he says, send, send these guys, get Peter. Peter will come and tell you what to do. Even though here he says, what is it that you want, Lord? When the angel showed up, but he was in prayer. The prayer shows that he was already seeking God's will. It wasn't once the angel showed up, then he said, okay, what do you want? He was already in prayer. Prayer is us going before God, seeking Him. So when He answers, Cornelius says, okay, I was seeking you. You showed up. What do you want me to do? Okay, that is what we are to... That's how we are to respond as Christians. When you guys... the four of you that are here that went to El Salvador, when you guys prayed about going to El Salvador, hopefully you knew that it was God that called you to go there. See, because I prayed about going too, but I knew that it wasn't for me to go. God just, he just showed me this isn't, I, I was in it a long way into it. And then God just said, no, it's not going to happen. So I didn't go. But those of you that did go, hopefully you went because you knew that God called you to go. Um, I know for a fact that Jonathan wanted to go, 
but it didn't look like it was going to happen. He just wasn't going to be able to make it. And then God arranged it so that Jonathan did get to go. So I know that he wasn't going to go. And then actually when I, about the time I backed out, God confirmed to him that he was going to be able to do it. So it was a time, a process of seeking God and his will and what he wanted. And all of you, I haven't talked to everybody. I haven't really got to talk to Michael. I got to hear Whitney and her stories, and I haven't talked to you two either. <laughs> but I got to hear her stories and stuff that went on. God did some amazing stuff down there. Um, stuff that you guys probably still haven't even grasped all of it yet. Over time, you're going to start seeing and, re- oh, yeah, we did this one thing. Um, it's always cool when you reflect and see, oh, yeah, I guess that was God working in this area as you look and you see and you understand why he called you to go and do what you did. For Michael, I think it was to get him out of the country and get him on a plane. <laughs> Since he had never done that, um, that was the start. So when Cornelius, back to this story here, when Cornelius sent his men to Joppa, according to Josephus, it's roughly about 70 miles that he sent these guys to go get Peter. Okay, so what's 70 miles from here? L.A.? I don't know, somewhere out that way. I don't know, L.A. is somewhere out there. Maybe L.A. may be a little farther than, than 70. Might be around 100 out there. But anyways, it's a long ways. And these guys weren't getting in the car. They weren't uh, hopping on a plane. They were getting on their feet, maybe a horse, camel, whatever. But they were traveling the 70 miles, but not in a car. Not comfortably. 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 That's the word. Um, But they were going to go the 70 miles. So the story now switches from Cornelius, and it switches over to Peter. Okay, so here's Peter. Verse 9, the next day, as they went on the journey and drew near the city, and this is Cornelius's guys, it says, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So this is the 12 noon. Peter's praying. It says, and he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, And the object was taken up into heaven again. So here's a completely different scenario. 70 miles away from the last vision, Peter has a vision when he goes into prayer. So we see God speaking through the visions here. Two visions. It says trance. We're going to see it was a vision that he had, just like Cornelius had. But Peter's was more specific. See, because... Cornelius was to call Peter with a message. But Peter didn't have a message yet. But as the men are traveling to get Peter and they're getting close, God says, oh, I got a message for you, Peter. So he falls into a trance. He's hungry. So right away with the hunger, God creates a vision that will relate to his hunger. The sheet is dropped down from heaven. On it, all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. Things that are unclean to a Jew. They come down from heaven in his vision. So he's really hungry. As a Jew, you know, he's like picturing bacon sizzling and, you know, pork chops and all this, you know, lobster, all the things that he's not supposed to be eating on this sheet. And the Lord in the vision, the voice says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Peter said, not so, Lord. Notice the difference in the response. Cornelius, when he observed the angel and was afraid, said, what is it, Lord? And he told him to send men to Joppa, and he did it. With Peter, the vision comes, and the vision, the voice says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. The two different responses. Okay, the number one problem that always comes that people always talk about and is definitely a problem is Peter's response. 
You cannot say, not so, and follow it up by Lord. A servant cannot tell his master, no. A servant says, yes, sir. What do you want? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. But Peter says, no, no, because of his Jewish heritage. Whether it's his um, being pious, whether he just feels that this is the most godly thing, or he just wanted whatever reason, he says, not so, Lord. You can't do that. If you're going to call him Lord, the only thing you could do is respond positively to what he's asked you to do. No matter how crazy it sounds, this is totally against everything that Peter knows as a Jew. He's hungry, so in his mind he may be thinking, oh, this is a weird vision, man. I'm hungry, and it's like my body wants to eat anything. And the voice tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And it's not so. But the response, Lord, is the problem. I can understand, no, this is weird, man. No, I'm not doing this, but not so, Lord. Those two, that's, that's totally, they're not compatible. You can't say those two things. But he did. Peter, we know, he's always got issues. And this isn't the last time he has issues, but this is another time he has an issue. So he says, not, Lord, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So he's saying that what God is showing him, this is common or this is unclean. Remember, God's giving him a message. Peter doesn't know it yet. His vision, he doesn't know this vision is a message. But he's going to figure it out. So the voice spoke to him again in second time, the second time, and it said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And that was done three times. And then the object was taken up into heaven again. So now Peter's sitting there like, Whoa. Three times. Just for emphasis, always. Holy, holy, holy. Right? When there's three, it's emphasis. So God is emphasizing, Peter, don't call anything that I have cleansed common or unclean. So the message that Peter is going to give to Cornelius is first for Peter. He has to experience it first. Have you ever taught? I know Michael experiences this all the time, just like I do. When you teach, it's always first for me. I give you guys a little bit of what I learned. Because if we sat here the whole time and I talked about everything I learned as I was going through, we'd be here longer than Richard will let me record things. So we're, we're not going to be able to do that. So it's done three times and the object is taken away to heaven. So in verse 17 it says, Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, so you can see that though it says he fell into a trance, he knew it was a vision. He wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. What timing, huh? They're coming close. Peter has a vision. He's like, wow, what was that? We're looking for Peter. It's like, oh, wow. God did, I mean, the timing. So it says that these men stood at the gate and called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So he has the vision. He still doesn't know what it meant. He's still pondering the vision. And the Spirit says, Peter, there's some guys here that want to take you. Go with them. Don't question. Don't doubt. Just go. So he's, okay. He, it, as far as we can tell, he's still, the last thing he was doing was wondering on the vision. And God says, go. So Peter, again, when he started this was prayer. Seeking God. That's what prayer is, seeking God. When we pray, it's, it's not wrong for us because this isn't a study about prayer. Mike did that one two weeks ago. So I don't need to cover the prayer one. But when we pray, it's talking to God. It's fine that we ask Him for whatever our little grocery list would be. You know, pay the bills and all that fun stuff. But more importantly is, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from my life? We have to be willing to understand that our lives are not our own. This was something that God continually pounds into my head. And today it was really going through my head a lot this morning. That... 
Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. So when God asks us to do something, specifically I was thinking of the way things are in the world today, martyrdom. When God says, hey, you're going to need to go wherever, do this thing. I was thinking of these people that are killed by ISIS, the, the Muslims, chop their heads off. I need you to deny Jesus. I, I wouldn't do it. I don't. I, I mean, it'll be God's Holy Spirit in me that would allow me to go through that. But I've always said, if you, if, you, if you live for Him now, you can die for Him then. But if you're not living for Him now, you will not die for Him then. In my mind, I run this scenario all the time. I always say, you know, if, if someone's going to kill me for my Christianity because of my beliefs, I probably will not fight back. If they're going to kill me just because they want to kill somebody, we're probably going to have a problem. And if they're going to kill someone around me, except for the rare occasions when you read in, in different books, martyr books, uh, by their blood and stuff like that, where, where there were men who actually sat there and they put the gun to the kids' heads. Deny Jesus where you shoot your kid. And stories of men that go, I'll see you in heaven. That's where it's, that's where it's tough. Wait, that's my kid. And you're going to kill them if, if I don't deny and there's stories, I don't know if you've ever read, finished reading that by their blood, that's in that in that book is one of them. There's some in boxes too, but that's where it's hard. See, because I'm not afraid to die. It's not going to hurt me, but man, Esther, deny Jesus or I'm going to kill Esther, you know? Oh, man, that's that's hard. for That would be really hard. I know it'd be hard for Michael as a dad. For me as a grandpa, I'd be like, but you know what? As hard as that would be, I couldn't do it. You'd have to do just like... And it would be God's Spirit that would give you the power to do it. But that's the commitment. That's what you need. So when God says, I need you to do something, it's His will above all else. And that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're looking at here. So here's Peter. He's told, go. Don't doubt. Go. I sent these men. You need to go. So he says that in 19, the vision, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? So Peter's asking, Why are you here? And he said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa, from Joppa accompanied him. So he says, okay, it's, it was noon when they showed up. It's a 70-mile journey, so you're not going to take off at 2 or 3 in the afternoon to make your 70-mile journey because it's going to be nighttime. So he goes, let's just stay here tonight. We'll take off and we'll go tomorrow. These guys were moving. I don't know how long it took them to make this journey, but 70 miles walking is quite a journey. Verse 24, And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and he had called together all his relatives or called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Okay, so Cornelius calls for Peter. Not doubting. You see the faith that God said, send for Peter and Cornelius was waiting for him. Oh, he's coming. He'll be here. He knew he trusted God. God is the one that called me to do this thing. This is God's will that I call Peter. Peter will be here. So it says he was waiting for him. And he called his relatives and his close friends. So this isn't just for me. I want a bunch of people here. I want them all to hear what Peter has to say. Because God is sending him. When God's sending him with a message, I don't want to be the only one to hear this. I want a lot of people to hear this. This, this is kind of what... When we go through like God's will, um, you know, in Hebrews it says that God is not wishing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? He doesn't want anybody dying in sin. He wants them all saved. So when he calls his friends, or I'm sorry, that was in Second uh, Peter three nine, salvation is God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You can also read Matthew eighteen fourteen, John twelve, John one twelve through thirteen, and First Timothy two four. Right, So that is, we know part of God's will, that none should perish. So, and none or all in the Greek means all, 
none means none um, contrary to what certain people would say and believe in the church today some believe that you're called and once you're called that's it I was talking with Isaac on Sunday to get the Jewish perspective on predestination and God's calling but he said pretty much they don't even think about it it's not something that Jews even consider they don't think about predestination and he goes it's just it's not a subject that they really tackle so I thought I just wanted to get their perspective. I, I know what the, the early church fathers believed because I have some books on that, but they, they believed that predestination was not what some people would say it is today. But anyways, so Cornelius has relatives as close friends and Peter comes in and Cornelius falls at his feet and worships him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. So many people today need to read this verse right here. So many of these pastors out there that accept the worship of man. They need to do this. They need to always let people know they are just men. But unfortunately today, it's pastor worship. There's all this worship of man. And then when man falls, people fall with him because they're worshiping the man instead of whom the man is supposed to be pointing to jesus christ they start believing their own press that's what we always say it. it's they start believing the things they're hearing and pretty soon they're not accountable anymore do you know who i am i can remember a certain pastor one time uh, being confronted by a friend of mine and he was told that he was like Korah, and that if he spoke any more against this pastor that as God destroyed Korah and swallowed him up in the earth, so would happen to my friend. My friend just looked at him, get out of here, man. This, this guy is no Moses. So God is not going to swallow up the earth. This man is, hor- he was doing horrible things at the time. And this was years ago. Eventually was caught, thrown out of the church. Um, bad, bad situation that happened. But see, that's what that's what they say. And unfortunately, and I know this is not going to go over well because I'm sitting in a Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapels are very big on this. You do not question the pastor or the man in charge. You have no right to do that because he's the pastor. But he's a man of like passions. Just like when we learned when uh, Mike taught Sunday on Elijah. He's a man of like passions as we are. He's the same as us. Elijah feared when Jezebel wanted to kill him. He ran. He wasn't that great man of God that just called fire down from heaven and licked up a thing at the altar and the water and everything else. It was like one minute he's strong and looks like the greatest guy that you should be following. The next minute he's running like a little girl. Hopefully that's, I know that's not politically correct to say that, but I did. He's running like a little girl away because Jezebel wants to kill him. The pastor worship, the idolatry that goes on is wrong. It's wrong for people to do that. Like Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. You watch that pastor. You make sure that he's following Christ. So that if he decides he's going to turn and go the other direction, you turn and you go the other direction, away from him. Don't follow somebody all the way to Guyana and drink the Kool-Aid. Reference to Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Because that's what they did. They stopped checking the Scriptures. They started following Jim Jones. They moved all the way down to Guyana and ultimately, all but I think four people escaped. The rest of them died following a man who was not following Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. That's who we're to follow. That's whose will we seek. We can't be seeking what some man wants us to do. It's got to be what does God want. So when Cornelius falls down to worship Peter, this is the first pope, right? That's what they say in the Catholic Church. He wasn't the first pope, and that's what they say. He didn't accept worship. He told Cornelius right away, right? Stand up. I myself am also a man. All right? Didn't God just remind him of that? When he had his vision, not so, Lord. God says, don't you call what I've called clean. Don't you call it common and unclean. I cleanse something, it's clean. Don't you dare call it common and unclean. That's kind of what happened, right? Because not so, Lord. That's pride. Oh, God, I don't do those things. That's his 
don't you dare question what I'm telling you or what I'm asking you or what I'm showing you. Don't question God. It's not don't question Peter or don't question name the pastor. That's not what he's talking about. It's God you don't question. When God shows you something and you know it's Him and it's not contrary to Scripture, then you go, okay, this this was God. He'll, he'll confirm. I, I don't think Gideon was all that wrong if you know the story in Judges when Gideon had the fleece laid out. Right? He wasn't rebuked by God because he wanted the fleece dry one day, wet the next. When Thomas, who gets that bad rap for being doubting Thomas, says, unless I put my fingers in the nail prints and my hand in his side, I won't believe. God didn't say, well, then you'll end up in hell then. That's just the way it is, Thomas. He showed up. Thomas, here's my hand. Go ahead, stick your finger in. Here's my side. Go ahead, plunge your hand in. It's me. God showed up. It's not always wrong to doubt. It's it's okay to confirm. But once He showed you the proof, don't continue to doubt. Once He showed you, go, okay, what do you want, God? What do you want me to do? Right? That was Cornelius. Okay, what do you want? The angel, he was scared, but what do you want, Lord? Not like Peter. Not so, Lord. So we're seeking God's will. So when he confirms through his word, he'll use people. There's a lot of different ways. He'll use unsaved people to confirm something he wants to do. I'm not saying listen to the counsel of the ungodly. But sometimes God will speak through people and they don't even know that they're saying something that maybe you've been praying about. And they say something, you go, oh, wow, that's a trick. That guy's not even a Christian. And I think God was just speaking to me through this person. Don't take that too far. But it can happen. Okay, God uses the ungodly sometimes to get His work done. So, Peter stands him up. It says, As he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my household. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Okay, so Peter now understands the vision. It wasn't about four-footed animals. It wasn't about creeping things. It was about men. He tells him that. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to be in the presence of a Gentile? Someone of another nation? He goes, but God showed me that it's not wrong. That was the vision. The vision was for him. But it's really for all of us to look at. We can go, wait, this same vision, there's there's people that are Christians that don't like the black people, they don't like the Mexican people, they don't like the Chinese people, they don't like the Japanese people, whatever your prejudice would be. They're people. They're saved. If God's called them and they're saved, they're Christian brothers, sisters. And if they're not, then God wants them to be. If we hold prejudice, then how do we extend the love of Jesus Christ to those people? Okay? There's the will of God. Right? What was Matthew 28? Right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not just the ones you like. The people that look like you. All nations. And you guys took a trip to El Salvador to do that. That's why you guys were there. It wasn't so you could get on a plane and fly out of the country. I, just in case that's what you thought it was, Michael. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> That's not what it was. God was looking to save a bunch of little kids in an orphanage that remember these guys that came from Running Springs and bless them with beans and rice and soccer balls and cleats and, and soccer games and rolled ankles. Three of you. You obviously were not doing something right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's crazy. Um, but that was the purpose. God had a purpose and His purpose was for you guys to take the message you had and the love of Jesus Christ and show it to this town where you guys are going door to door and praying for people and giving beans and rice. That's crazy. 
That's crazy stuff. Just like when we on Christmas went out, went door to door, handy putting little placards on the doors to invite people to Christmas Eve service that we didn't even get to have. <laughs> so you got to take that and go. Well, you know what? It wasn't about the people coming to church on Christmas Eve. It was about us reaching out to the community. That's what that was about. Because if it was about the people coming to church, God would have allowed it to happen. It was more about us getting out of our comfort zone. Because remember, I don't remember who it was. It doesn't matter who it was. But someone said, we don't do that in the mountains. We don't go door to door passing stuff out like this. But Tanner, being from Florida, he doesn't know any better. <laughs> and he said, no, we're going to do it here. And we did it. Fifty people went out and did it. That was for us. And, you know, it was the group that I was with. It was, it was kind of sketchy. These guys were a little bit afraid to do it. So I did the first house. Uh, Michael and I went and knocked on the first door. And then we knocked on the same door, like same house three times. He had three different doors around the house. We kept thinking we were hitting a different house. It was the same house three times. But then the next house, Tim went by himself. And then Jeremiah and Mark. And then uh, who else? Someone else was with us. Was it just us? Oh, okay. And and then all of a sudden, it just it was no, it was nothing. After we did like the first three houses, everybody run into the next house to knock on the door except Mark. He was running behind somebody. But. But we were we knew this is something we need to do. We need to reach out to our community because that's Matthew twenty eight. Making disciples of the nations. We gotta start first in Judea, then Jerusalem, then to the uttermost parts of the world. This is Judea, right here. And that's what we did. And we're gonna do more of that. I know Tanner wants to do a lot more outreach stuff. Um, where we're inviting the community to come to church. So that's why, you know, for the next till October, November, whenever we do this back up again after we finish next week, um, a lot of that off time, Tanner's going to try to put stuff together where we can go out and try to bring new people into the church so that when we do this again, the foundations class, it will be a bunch of new people sitting in here, not the same people. That's the vision. That's God's will. That's his desire. So that's what he wants for us. So Peter finds out. Then Cornelius shares with him how he was fasting, praying, God said, send them. He said, and I brought all these people in. Verse 33. And we're all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you by God. So verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In a truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things. Okay, so Peter, he was physically there. He says, we are witnesses. I was there with him doing this. Cornelius probably was not. So, uh, we are witnesses of all things which he, had, he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach the, to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So we can take from this up to this point Peter was not preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He was specifically preaching to the Jewish race, to the Jewish people. But now that he has the vision he understands God has called all men everywhere, all who fear him, to come into his family. So Peter's understanding this. So though it was Cornelius who called Peter, God was teaching Peter so that he could turn around and teach Cornelius because the Romans were also very prejudiced. If you weren't a Roman citizen and if you weren't part of Rome, then they were prejudiced against you. So Cornelius has to learn this also. Not that it says here he was. Maybe some of the people present were. Maybe they're getting this message too, understanding that, oh, 
So it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you came from. God wants everybody saved. The whole world. That's why John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whosoever would believe in Him, that, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The whosoever is not the chosen. The whosoever is whosoever. Anybody. Anybody that chooses to can come. And that's what Peter's learning here. And he's giving this same message to the Romans in Cornelius' house. So, um, he says, And to him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So another point that we didn't get into this at all. Well, I no, I did it the first time I went through. Um, I think the first time I went through God and the Holy Spirit. The baptism. Notice that the baptism of water came after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues before they got baptized in water. Okay, This is contrary to the assemblies of God's. The assemblies of God's say that the evidence of born again and the baptism... No, not the assemblies of God. I'm sorry. Um, it's the Church of Christ that, that requires water baptism for salvation. I'm sorry. The assemblies of God believe that tongues is a, is a sign of being born again. But there are times you can read in the Scriptures where it happens the opposite direction. You get water baptized, then you speak in tongues. It's just It doesn't matter. And notice what they were doing when the tongues came. It says, they spoke with tongues and magnified God. They weren't telling future things. Okay, so tongues, this is, every time you read in the scripture about somebody speaking in tongues, this is typically what you hear that they were saying. They were magnifying God or speaking the wonderful works of God. Okay, so whoever it is, and all these people that came with Peter from Joppa saw it happening, so they're like, oh, wait, the Gentiles are now speaking in tongues. They're magnifying God. So, oh, God is blessing them also. So then Peter brings it to the baptism, the water baptism. Can anybody forbid that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit? Just as we have. Peter's got it now. But he does fall back later. If you guys remember, there's another story in the book of Acts where Paul rebukes Peter to the face because Peter was being a hypocrite. He was hanging out with the Jews, eating the you know pulled pork sandwiches and bacon, and then... The Jews? The, huh? With the Gentiles. I'm sorry. Okay. He's hanging out with the Gentiles eating his pulled pork sandwich and bacon. The Jews show up, and as soon as they show up, Peter just separates from the Gentiles. So he doesn't look like he's hobnobbing with the pork eaters. I don't know that he's eating pulled pork. That's just... I like pulled pork. Um, but he leaves, and then Paul rebukes him for being a hypocrite. In front of the Jews, you want to act like a Jew. But in front of the Gentiles, you will be like a Gentile. Or not like them as a Gentile, but you will hang out with them. The vision meant something until the Jews showed up later on and then Peter goes, oh, i got to separate because the Jews won't like this. Something we need to know is that God doesn't want us to live that kind of life. That's a hypocritical life. God does not want that. That's not God's will. That when we're at work, we take part in the filthy jokes in this stuff like that, this how Stephen and I were working on today. I was glad he was Stephen was out getting materials or something. I don't know what he was doing. And this guy goes, "Oh, I want to hear my one electrician joke." And the guy told me the joke, and it had some pretty foul language in it. And he goes, "Yeah, that's just the way electricians are on the construction site." I said, "You won't hear this electrician or the other one talk that way." He just looks at me, and goes, "Well, it was just a joke." I'm like, "Yeah," and I just kept working. <laughs> it's like he was offended because I didn't laugh at his joke, and I told him, "I don't talk like that," and nor does my son. And he goes, it's just a joke. And he kind of went away for a little bit because I didn't laugh at his joke. He, he was fine with it. I mean, he wasn't mad at us. He was really happy when we got done. But I don't partake in that stuff just because I'm at work. 
and the guy's going to pay me to do work at his house and I don't want him to get mad at me because then maybe he won't pay me or he won't hire me back because I don't laugh at his jokes. But see, that's the mentality of a lot of people. I don't care. Your joke was filthy. I don't think it's funny. And I don't talk that way. And he was just, well, it's just a joke. So I could tell he was a little offended by what I said, but I didn't care. I want him to know that's not me. I don't do that and my son doesn't do that. Like I said, I was glad Stephen was outside so he didn't have to hear it. Because when he said, you know, I got this joke, I didn't know what he was going to say. And it came out pretty bad. Bottom line, this whole story, Peter and Cornelius. Seeking God is all about His will. You're seeking the will of God. You're seeking His power to do His will. If you are doing His will, He will give you the power to do it. Okay? Cornelius, Cornelius and Peter, two separate people, 70 miles apart, seeking God's will. God has a plan. And He's looking for people to accomplish the plan that He has. Two men, 70 miles apart, are going to accomplish the plan that God has. And that's for Peter to understand that God has called all men everywhere to be saved. For Cornelius to understand that God has called all men everywhere to be saved. To have Cornelius hear the complete gospel from a man who walked with Jesus and be water baptized, right? I mean, it doesn't say he was water baptized, but it pretty much infers that's what happened, right? After the tongues, Peter says, hey, we got to get some water, man. These guys need to be baptized because they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. We need that water baptism. Water baptism is not for salvation. All it is is a sign. It's an outward sign of something that happened inwardly. You only need to do it once. I never get the people that go to Israel and they all want to get baptized in the Jordan River because that's where Jesus was and that's where John the Baptist did it. If I ever make to Israel, I can promise you one thing. I will not be baptized in Israel. I was baptized in Glendora, California at an Assemblies of God church in 1983 and I actually got a certificate for it. I was fairly new Christian. But I remember, I was baptized. I don't need to do it again. The Jordan River is just water. I got wet in Glendora. I don't need to go get wet in Israel to make it a better baptism. It's still just water. It's an outward sign. That's all it is. I've already done it. I've showed the world that I've changed my life. I go under the water. That's me dying. I come back up. That's me coming back to life as a new man. That's the whole symbolism. I've done it. I don't need to do it again. Now, for those that were sprinkled as babies in the Catholic Church or wherever it was... Um, you know, if you need to do it again because that's when you did it, that's different. But as a Christian, you don't need to get baptized. It's like you don't need to get saved every week like they used to do at my wife's church. You know, oh, I sinned. i got to get saved again. That's that's the Armenian, Armenian theology where you lose your salvation at every sin, okay? And that's not biblical. So there, there's a balance in there. But God's will for our lives is that all men everywhere should hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we hold prejudice, we will not do that. That's what Peter had to learn. And he saw Cornelius and his house baptized with the Holy Spirit, a sign to him that the vision he saw was reality. So God backed up the vision with a, a sign, which was the Holy Spirit falling upon the Gentiles. So there was no doubt at that point. Not that it says Peter did doubt, but the vision came. He obeyed God. He sought God's will. God's will was that Peter went to Joppa. Or to, uh, not, not Joppa, to um, Caesarea. That Peter went to Caesarea from Joppa. That was God's will. He did it. God did a work. You guys in, in, in El Salvador, when you saw God do something, you went away just like, oh, that was so cool. Right, whether it was watching the smile on the kids' faces when you gave them the gifts, the mom who you gave beans and rice to so they could have food for the family for the week, all the different things that you guys did. You went away just like, oh, if that's all I get to do this week, God, if it was just that one, that's enough. What a blessing. Here's Peter. That's basically what he did. He went and gave beans and rice. Obviously in a different sense, but that's what he did. He was obedient to God. He did what God's will was. And he saw a family, his household, his friends, his relatives have the Holy Spirit poured out on them. We need to seek God's will, whatever that would be, so that God can use us, but we need to seek his will. Once we know his will, we need to be obedient to his will. 
react and do what He's called us to do. And then we can be like Peter was. Blown away, blessed, because you blessed somebody else. Not because of what you did, but because you saw God do a work through you. That's what it's all about. Okay? I know on your paper there's a lot of stuff about God's will. You guys got that? If not, you've got the paper. You can go read those scriptures yourself. I wanted to focus on the two men in two totally different parts of Israel that God used bring them together to bless both. That's what He wants to do. So let's just keep looking. What is God's will? You guys were blessed in El Salvador. We don't know what's going to come of that. We don't know how far that's going to go. We don't know when the next trip might be and you might get to be a part of that one too. So we just continue to pray. Seek His will. Um, Next week, Adam will be teaching on trials and tribulation. And that will be that. And then we're going to Twin Peaks again on Thursday nights. And we're going to start with the book of Jeremiah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight and for your word. And pray you would just continue to reveal to us your will. And that we would have the strength, the power, and that we would be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen.